Since I've been preaching here for over 24 years, somebody once asked me recently uh, what I think my final words will be to Black Rock Congregational Church. And I thought about it, and I think that I have a hunch uh, what my final word will be. Because I regularly work with an electric microphone when I'm uh, standing chest deep in uh, baptismal water. Because I wear flammable robes around wedding candles, I think my final word at BlackRock will be, ah! (laughs) But that wouldn't be my first choice. Uh, If I had my choice, uh, I'd like my final words to BlackRock uh, to be related to the final words Jesus said to his church before his ascension. You know, before he left this world, Jesus had a final word. Jesus knew that his last words to his followers would have maximum impact. And so he chose them with careful intent. What were Jesus' final words? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' last words were, in Matthew chapter 28, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And then Luke in uh, the book of Acts, uh, he's the author of the book of Acts. Jesus' last words are recorded in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus' final words were commands to go to all nations and to the ends of the earth with the message of his work on the cross and his resurrection. When Jesus spoke these final words, uh, Scripture indicates that he was talking to probably 120 people. Now take a guess. Uh, Out of those 120 people, what percentage do you think Jesus expected to actually act on his command? Uh, The apostles uh, comprised uh, approximately 10% of that crowd. Do you think that maybe Jesus expected, oh, just 10% of his followers to actually follow through with his command uh, and the rest could just be spectators? Uh, Or do you think maybe it was higher? Do you think maybe Jesus expected that maybe half of his followers would actually commit to reaching the world while the other half could just get good jobs and uh, save for retirement and be spectators until they died and went to heaven? No. You know the answer. When Jesus commanded his followers to commit to the worldwide spread of his message, Jesus expected that there wouldn't be any spectators. Jesus expected that 100% of his followers would be personally and sacrificially committed to the process of bringing his message to all the nations of the world. 
Jesus expected 100% follow-through, and that's what happened. And as a result, the book of Acts records that once upon a time, there was this church that brought the world to Jesus. And Jesus' expectations have not changed. Jesus still expects 100% of his followers to commit to his final words. And he still thinks it's unthinkable that his follower would be a spectator or somehow apathetic about his command to bring his name to those who haven't heard. And this is why we are passionate about global missions here at BlackRock. At BlackRock, global missions is just not our thing. It's not our niche. It's not a quaint tradition or a holdover from the past. We believe that Jesus' final words give us our purpose as a church, which means that at the very center of our purpose includes sending each other into the darkest corners of the world so that we can shine the light of Jesus. That is what we do at BlackRock because that is who we are at BlackRock. And among the true Christ followers of this church, we expect no spectators. We expect 100% participation in missions prayer and missions giving, because Jesus expects 100% participation in his global command to reach all nations by either going or by supporting those who go from the church. Uh, now, there are a lot of churches who say, who like to talk a lot about how uh, they send out their own members, but they don't do it. Uh, there are many churches that say, we believe in sending our people to the darkest corners of the world. They say that, but they've never actually had a person raise their hand and say, send me. Not this year, not last year, not for the last 50 years in a lot of churches. But this is one of the ways God has really blessed us at Black Rock. On a regular basis, Black Rock worshipers in Fairfield and in Long Ridge uh, raise their hand and say, send me. I am willing to go long term to the dark corners of this world and shine the light of Jesus. Today, 30 BlackRock individuals or families are sharing Jesus with those who would not otherwise hear of him. And in the past 50 years, over 70 BlackRock individuals or families or couples have raised a hand and said, send me, and they've served as a BlackRock missionary. One such BlackRock family has just returned from a four-year term serving God on a primitive island near Australia called Papua New Guinea. Carl and Kristen Nielsen were ordinary BlackRock worshipers. Carl had an ordinary job as a school principal. Carl and Kristen were raising kids in an ordinary home here in Fairfield County. And then four years ago, 
they began an, an extraordinary adventure. colleague and I were at a um, just a, an academic conference um, up in Massachusetts and um, you know during those three-day conferences there's always you know one session that you really have nothing interesting to go and so I went to the international school needs you know um, workshop so I went there um, and, and right there the that's where the Lord grabbed my heart um, and just said you can do what you're doing here um, but you can go support um, uh, the families that are in the deep tribes um, uh, presenting the gospel to people who've never heard it. You could teach their kids, and, and that would be a help to them. Probably a couple of days before he came home and presented this idea for me, I had just written in my journal and said, Lord, you know, I'm not sure what you're asking here of us, of me, um, but whatever, I whatever, whatever you want, whatever you need from me. And then he came home and said that, and I was pretty much like, anything but that. <laughs> <laughs> that really was the initial response, actually. Um, we, we didn't talk for about it for about 60 days. So <laughs> so yeah. we just kind of, it just kind of was there. And so when I did talk to him about it, eventually, he said, great, I just, I need to show you this website about the school in Papua New Guinea. And I was like, where? You need to get out a map first, because mm-hmm. I've never even heard of that place before. Mm-hmm. And um, so it began, and it was... Mm-hmm. Um, hard but very clear from the beginning. I always felt in my back pocket that, or, or I guess in the back of my mind, that if the whole mission thing didn't work out, I could just stay as, as principal. And so I actually told one of my friends, I said, my faith erodes if they find a replacement for me before we have support. Because in my mind, now I have, I, I'm, I'm, I have nothing. Um, and of course... The Lord knows that's exactly the point that needed to be squeezed out of my heart. You know what I mean? That he's in control and he knows everything. Um, and so that's exactly what happened, of course. We, we had to announce it a, a little bit earlier than we were thinking. And then, and then they found a replacement very quickly. And we had not even sent out a letter. Oh, yeah. We didn't even know what the process was or whatever. That process was nothing short of miraculous. miraculous. Really, I, I've just heard so many stories of people having to go through this ringer and that was my nightmare of having to go from church to church to church um, and uh, we had our support raised by March and just every day at the mailbox there is another new slip and I just mm. <laughs> would just crumple in tears mm. Um, mm. just because of um, the people that the Lord prompted to, to get behind us and this mm. and knowing it was his thing mm-hmm. and not our thing mm-hmm. our initial commitment was four years um, and so this year that we're home is really a, a deciding year um, for us. We would not trade the last four years for anything in the world. It was amazing, amazing and phenomenal. But there's a lot of factors moving forward that we need to consider. So we're, we're, we're in that process right now, working through it with our families. And day to day, we can't imagine a day where we don't go back to Papua New Guinea but then the very next day we can't imagine going back mm-hmm. to, you know it's it's a weird place that we are right now we are proud to say that Black Rock is our home church when we're out there and we tell people about Black Rock and, and they keep telling us 
you guys have a great church. Um, and, uh, and honestly, we came to appreciate Black Rock more when we were there because um, we saw how we were supported and, and uh, encouraged in so many ways. We, we just got to, mm-hmm. We've just been part of that big picture mm-hmm. in just the most personal way mm-hmm. over the last four or five years. And there, there aren't, there's not words. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. We've tried to thank people and articulate it, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, this place has gotten behind us. And um, I think, like you said, if mm-hmm. if this lighthouse project is just continuing on with that purpose, then mm-hmm. that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. Mm-hmm. So Carl and Kristen were worshipers here like all of us and then they heard God's call to go and we have 30 more Black Rock families uh, shining this same light around the world right now but we want to send more we want to send more of us into the darkest places on earth and this is what our lighthouse project is about we want to make more room to reach more of our neighbors so that we can then send out more and reach more both near and far because of our commitment to Jesus worldwide call the lighthouse project is not about increasing our seating capacity It is about increasing our sending capacity. And maybe God is speaking to you right now. Maybe God is calling you to go, to go and be a light of Jesus in a dark place somewhere in this world. If God is not calling you to go long term, then he is calling you to help send others from this church as you commit financially and pray faithfully and take short-term trips to help personally. Every Christ follower must be committed to the global spreading of the gospel for two reasons. First, Jesus commanded it. Uh, We uh, already saw this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus commands, Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But there's a second reason why we all must be involved in global missions. Second, if I miss my global involvement, I miss the whole point of God's story in my life. The second reason is also in the book of Acts in chapter 3. Would you please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 18. And if you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, that should be on page 773. And the words we're going to study are the words of an impromptu speech given by the Apostle Peter after he healed a man who had been crippled since birth. Now, when this lame man leapt for joy and jumped around, a crowd gathered. And so Peter spoke to this crowd about how Jesus was crucified to make God's forgiveness possible and how it was the risen Jesus who healed this man uh, to display his power. Speaking of Jesus' cross, Peter says this, starting in verse 18, Acts chapter 3. 
This is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Those who do not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now let me highlight a few points in Peter's profound witness. First, Peter says that God is telling a story. Look at the first words of uh, verse 18 and then look at the last words of verse 21. Peter says, this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. And at the end of 21, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Notice, notice that Peter doesn't say that the prophets spoke about God. Peter says that God spoke through the prophets. Notice that Peter doesn't say that the prophets told stories about God, but that God tells his story through the prophets in Scripture. Don't miss this. The Bible is God's story. It's not so much written by human hands. It's God's story. Peter certainly believed this and said this. And God's story is about his plan to bless people of every nation in the world. Peter mentions three of God's storytellers in uh, this passage we just read. Moses and Samuel and Abraham. But the story begins with Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham. When God spoke to him in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abram, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All the nations on earth will be blessed through you. Peter quotes God's words to Abraham in verse 25. You'll see it there. Because God's story begins with God's promise to bless the whole world. Now, what's really cool is that the Bible is one story that begins with the book of Genesis and ends with the last book of the Bible, Revelation, where God's completed plan for blessing is envisioned in these words from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's God's story. 
God's story begins in Genesis with a promise to bless all nations. And God's story ends in Revelation with a promise realized with people from every nation and every tribe in eternity. And in the middle of God's story comes the climax. The climax of the story is Jesus. This is Peter's first point. Jesus is God's personal fulfillment of the promise to bless all nations on earth. God came to earth himself. The author stepped into the play. He stepped into his own story. And Jesus died so that people of every nation could have God's forgiveness, empowered by God's Spirit, and become part of God's eternal story for blessing the world, which leads to Peter's second point. I become part of God's story by telling God's story. You may say, I don't see this point in what Peter says in his speech. Well, that's because the point is not so much in Peter's words, but in Peter's actions. Peter has just healed a cripple in Jesus' name. And when a crowd gathers, Peter takes the opportunity to tell them God's story in Jesus, which Luke records and the story we are now reading 2,000 years later. You see... Peter proves that I become part of God's story by telling God's story. And what is true for Peter is true for every person who follows Christ. The moment I trust and receive uh, God's forgiveness through Christ, uh, I receive the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. But the story is not supposed to end there. God has arranged things so that I find his full blessing in my life when I become part of God's story. And the way I become part of God's story is by becoming part of telling God's story to every nation on earth. I experience Jesus' presence and Jesus' power only as I become part of his story by telling his story. There are Christ followers listening to me right now who complain that they don't sense Jesus' presence. They don't sense Jesus' power in their lives. Here's why. They don't experience Jesus' presence and power because Jesus gives these experiences to those who become part of God's story by telling God's story. Let's go back to those final words of Jesus. In Matthew uh, chapter uh, 28, Jesus' final words were, Go to all nations and I will be with you. Jesus commits his presence to those who bring his name to all nations. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus' final words were, You will receive power when you become my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus commits his power to those who commit to bring his name to the ends of the earth. You see, there are experiences of the Savior's presence and the Savior's power that I will only experience as I commit to become part of the process, become part of God's story by telling God's story. I mentioned that uh, we are honored here at BlackRock to send out our own. 
back in the 1950s, two of our black rockers in worship here raised their hand and said, send me. Their names were Don and Barbara Borgman. Uh, the Borgmans learned about an Amazonian tribal uh, group in northern Brazil known as the Yanomami. Uh, they learned that they uh, were about there were about 40,000 Yanomami people scattered among thousands of villages. The Yanomami were completely isolated and had never even heard of the name Jesus. So for 40 years, the Borgmans lived among several of these tribes, and with painstaking labor, uh, they turned their unwritten dialect uh, into written language and then translated the New Testament into their language. Then in 1971, we fast forward, John Brown was dedicated to God by his parents on this platform in, at Black Rock. And John grew up going to Sunday school here. And along with his older brothers, uh, Dan and Dave, he heard the stories of the Borgmans in Brazil. When the Borgmans came back to uh, Black Rock, John and his brothers, Dan and Dave, loved to hear uh, how God was using the Borgmans to reach people who had never heard of Jesus. So in 1991, Dan and Dave Brown raised their hands and said, Black Rock, send us and our families to the Yanomami people. Then in 2003, John Brown raised his hand and said, I want to join my brothers. And uh, for the past eight years, John and his wife Valerie have served in Paramayu village, uh, a village among the Yanomami in Brazil. And John Brown is here today. Would you join me in welcoming John Brown? John, uh, start by uh, describing uh, the Yanomami culture and the village of uh, Paramayu, uh, where you live and work. Well, uh, the Yanomami uh, still live in near total isolation uh, along the border of Brazil and Venezuela. Uh, they're uh, <clears throat> about an hour and 15 minutes by small plane into the jungle from the nearest civilization. Uh, there's a popular myth that uh, people living in primitive conditions like that are generally happy and innocent, living at harmony with nature. And there may be some cultures that uh, live peacefully, but let me tell you, the Yanomami are not that people. Um, uh, there's very few positive aspects of Yanomami culture. Um, it tends to be very violent and revolve around revenge. Uh, Robbery, domestic violence, uh, euthanasia, infanticide, uh, murder and rape even are very common among the Anamami people. I would say uh, probably over 90% of men over the age of 30 have killed someone. And almost 90% of young women have been forcibly raped. It's a, it's a very difficult culture. Uh, the reason uh, for all this, the murder and the rape and the violence is that they're a culture very far from God. Um, uh, taking things from somebody who's not strong enough to defend themselves is the norm. It's the expectation. So that, uh, that explains a lot of, of what's going on with, uh, with the, the violence in their culture. Uh, there's a, 
Uh, all, all the violence leads to revenge, and unlike justice, uh, revenge requires that when someone loses an eye, um, multiple eyes are required in payment. If someone's life is lost, multiple lives are required in payment for that. It's the difference between revenge and justice, and our human nature, our sinful nature is like that. The idea of forgiving someone in the Anamami culture is absolutely unheard of. There's not even a word in their language for forgiveness. You couldn't say you're sorry if you wanted to because there's not a word for it. So. Well, since the, the message of Jesus is all about forgiveness, uh, it must be pretty hard for the Anamami to actually uh, believe in Christ and come to Christ. Uh, yeah, it's quite difficult. And there's only about 40 people in our village of about 400 who are carrying God's talk. That's the way the Anamami would say they're believers. They carry God's talk in their, in their heart. Um, but there is a, a good side. Uh, the Anamami are, are, are familiar with payment for wrongdoing. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. He paid the price for the things that we did wrong. Um, the Anamami can understand that. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that they do, that they understand. Someone has to pay, and Jesus did that for us. So that's where our in is, from the other side. Um, it's also very difficult for the Anamami to, to live the Christian life, to walk on God's trail, as they would say. Um, the, the culture is continually tempting believers to return to their old ways, to return to hate and anger and violence um, and promiscuity and drunkenness. Uh, it's very difficult for them to put their old lifestyles away. Uh, and it's also hard for them to get beyond their fear-based religion. They're animists who believe in evil spirits and the spirits of the dead. And they're in constant fear that these spirits will come to haunt them or to curse them. Uh, and it's, uh, it's hard for them to carry only God's talk, uh, to put their faith completely in the work of, of Christ. So we have this culture where there is uh, uh, not even a, even a word for forgiveness. Uh, we have a culture where there's lots of violence, uh, anger, uh, a sense of, um, uh, of fear uh, because of the spirits that uh, you have to be afraid of all the time because they might haunt you or, or curse you. Now, when a, a Yanomami uh, actually carries God's talk in their chest or their heart, uh, what, are, what are some of the changes that you see? Well, it has a positive impact on the entire community, actually. Uh, Traditionally, the, the Yanomamis live in a state of war with their neighbors. There's raids going back and forth and killings going back and forth. Um, but uh, this has begun to change in the village of Potomiu. Uh, early on, some of the key men expressed interest in the word of God. And since that time, the village of Potomiu has not been in open warfare. There's been violence in the village, lots of violence. Uh, but uh, they have not been in open warfare with their neighbors. And uh, among the believers, there's a noticeable reduction in the violence. Uh, the hatred and the anger is less. Their, their families are healthier. Uh, there's uh, less domestic abuse. The children are better cared for. Uh, the health has improved, and uh, mortality has gone down significantly. Uh, perhaps the biggest uh, uh, change that's obvious is the lack of fear. The believers are unafraid to go into the jungle alone. And even at night, they'll, they'll go out and be, they'll be unafraid. 
Um, uh, I'm sure you have, you have lots of people probably that you could uh, could tell us about, but could you just give us maybe one example of uh, how some of these changes have uh, have worked yeah, out in the life? Uh, Bellew is one guy. He's a he's a Yanomami a friend of mine, and he grew up in this culture of fear and anger and. Uh, when he was young, his father was actually a witch doctor, so he knew all about the evil spirits and what they did and, and what they were capable of. Uh, but when we arrived, uh, he was chosen to be our language helper, and it was Felu who taught me uh, how to speak the Anamami language. Uh, Felu uh, uh, was, a, was a big help to us in... You know, initially we started off having to learn phrases like, where's the bathroom and what kind of snake is that? <laughs> um, but uh, as our language needs evolved away from that and more toward our ministry-related things, uh, we began to converse about spiritual things. Mm. And uh, a God who loves us, uh, who makes agreements with man, uh, a God who is strong enough to, uh, and wise enough to outwit and stand against the greatest of evil spirits, that really impressed value. And uh, he had heard some of these messages before, but he had problems in his life. He had a serious drinking problem. He was pretty much an alcoholic. And often when we, were planning, we had planned to work all week, uh, he would come in the middle of the week and say, I have to travel. Well, I was really code for I'm going to my next-door neighbor's party and I'm going to get drunk and be out of it for a couple of days. Um, but uh, as time went by and we were working through passages in Scripture, uh, he began to think about it more and more, and he finally did meet, make a commitment to the Lord, and he changed. Uh, he put aside uh, uh, his old ways and the drinking. But not long ago, uh, he came to me again as we had regular schedule. We were planning to work through the week. preparing. Uh, I was preparing for a message on Sunday, and uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to travel. And I got a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I said, are you sure you, you can't wait till Monday? Uh, what, are you, what are you doing? Where are you going? I, I know that village where you're planning to go. You don't have any relatives there. What are you, what are you going to do there? And he said to me, uh, well, uh, the people over there have begun to ask about Christianity, what it's all about. What does it really mean to carry God's talk? What's baptism? So a friend and I are going over there to teach him. We want to be there on Sunday. That's why we have to leave before Sunday. Uh, we're going to be about there about 10 days and, and teach them. And uh, I, I kind of felt bad. Yeah. It really was, <laughs> that I was traveling. <laughs> that yeah. I was pressuring him not to go. Um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a neat thing to hear. And uh, failure is really proving to be a, a strong believer, uh, standing against opposition. And one of those mm-hmm. trips over there, an uh, unbeliever, a headman in our village, ran up ahead, ran to the other village and said, don't listen to what these guys are saying. This is outsider's talk. This is not Yanomami talk. Don't mm-hmm. listen to them. And... Uh, a young man stood up and says, we, we know what they're coming here to say, and we want to hear more. We want to hear about Christianity. We want to hear what it means to carry God's talk and walk on God's trail. And uh, so Felu and his friend were able to teach there, and they came back and they said, uh, there's five guys there that are already carrying God's talk, we believe, and uh, they probably ought to be baptized. But uh, we're going to wait a couple, a month or so, and uh, we're going to go back and see if they're really sincere. Sometimes people say just what you want to hear to make you happy. So then they did. They planned to go back, and they went there and, and spent another uh, several days teaching and talking to the people. And they came back and said, I don't know, we, we made a mistake. There's not five people. There's seven. <laughs> so that was, that was another really encouraging thing. Uh, 
It's really exciting uh, to, to see the change in people's lives among the Anamami. It's a fruit of the work that was started by Don Borgman. They actually cite the missionaries from early on uh, who made an impact. They didn't see a lot of fruit in the early days, but uh, today we're seeing that fruit. And it's, uh, I'd like to thank you all for participating in that and supporting us in, in the work that God has called us to do in South America. We want to thank John and Valerie for their, uh, their work in the world. Thank you. Uh, it's our uh, desire as a church uh, to be that church uh, that God could say of us that once upon a time there was this church that brought the world to Jesus. And the way that happens is by one by one, uh, God encouraging us, ordinary people, to raise our hand and saying, I'll go, send me. And uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you're the next one uh, that we get to send here at Black Rock uh, around the world. Uh, because, again, that's what our Lighthouse Project is about. Not raising our seating capacity, but raising our sending capacity and sending each other around the world for God's glory. Would you please stand? God, I just uh, thank you for John and just uh, pray your blessing upon uh, John and Valerie and their kids. Lord, thank you for the way you're using them uh, for your purposes, to shine your light, Jesus, in a dark world. Lord, that's the purpose you've given to all of us, wherever we are, near or far. Uh, it is your plan to use us to shine your light that the world might be brought to you. And we look forward to that great day when there will be people of every nation and every tribe gathered around your throne. We work to that day for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. See you next time.